0: hi and welcome to Doing the Opposite Business Disruptors a podcast where you get to meet leaders who have swum against the tide, thrown out the rule book and changed the way their sector does business. I'm Jeff Dewing, best-selling author, speaker, founder and CEO of Cloud FM. Before we dig into today's episode, just a reminder that you can now watch all episodes of doing the Opposite, on YouTube, you'll find all the links in the show notes. Today, I'm joined by a brilliant panel of experts as we discuss another issue that's facing business, and that's the uncertainty around the future of the workplace. Now, the workplace is a subject that I'm particularly passionate about. When you look at the way in which people behave in business and the way people want to behave in business, The people that try to understand the difference between work-life balance, the environment in which they all operate and work, and how they create the outcomes that also nourishes them and their lives. This is a huge subject, and it's a subject of which there are quite a varied set of viewpoints on what the future is or should be. So I'm fascinated to see how this conversation goes. Joining me are three people who I know feel equally passionate about this subject. Sheila Callaghan is co-founder and executive director of the Age Equity Alliance, an organization which works globally with communities, organizations, and business leaders to ensure that age equity in the workplace. Simone Roche MBE is the founder of Northern Power Women, the largest organisation in Europe dedicated to accelerating gender equality. Simone is also the founder of the Power Platform and an honorary captain in the Royal Navy. And Nicholas Smith is the Interim Chief Executive at TimeWise, a flexible working consultancy and research hub who offer a range of services that help employers attract and keep talented staff by creating jobs with flexibility built-in. Welcome to all of you. I'm really, really excited to hear more about your expertise and ideas today. And I'd like to start by asking each of you if you wouldn't mind telling me why you believe that a conversation about the workplace of the future is one that should be taking place in all organizations today. So Nicola, let me start with you.
1: Thanks very much, Jeff, and really great to be here. Well. I think this conversation is absolutely vital both to ensure that employers can meet their recruitment and retention needs and to make sure that the sort of jobs we're offering are the sorts of jobs that we know people across our economy need. We've had this huge disruption to our jobs market as a result of the pandemic, many people suddenly working at home. We've now got a national conversation about flexible and hybrid working in a way we never had before but when you actually look at what's changing In the jobs market, maybe it's not as rapid as it needs to be. Only 12% of jobs across the economy are advertised as part-time. We've got huge untapped potential of very many people who want to be back in work or progressing in work and aren't able to because the sorts of flexibility they need isn't there. But we also know from our work at TimeWise that there are hundreds of employers out there doing fabulous things to innovate and create new ways of offering jobs in creative, different ways to people to make sure that they can get that job satisfaction and security that they need. So huge potential, but also huge challenges
0: and a lot more to do. Thanks, Nicolas Simone?
1: Do you know what? It's so uh, important to
2: have this conversation. I think we've, uh, and great to be here as well, really great to be here. But I think we've seen so much change and disruption, as has just said, over the last couple of years. And it And equally looking forward, I can't see that Changing. I feel like there's going to be a constant innovation of disruption if there is such a thing. And I and I think it's really important that we there's a real sort of focus post coming through the pandemic that we need to go back, go back. That's how do we build back better? How do we go back to normal? Well, I think herein lies the the opportunity to build forward better, to really kind of unpick what the world of work is going forward. What does the work, the future workforce look like? And so for me it is more than you know so important that we're we're gathering today and bringing all our different perspectives on this because I think we need to pull it apart to see how we then put this together going forward. So, you know, from the side of the employer on the side of our ever-changing workforce, um, you know, whether it's our, our workforce right at the start, our emerging talent, people at the st- at the end of their careers, people who are going into more portfolio roles, people who are changing midway, you know. So, for me, it's, it's critical that we need to unpick this.
0: That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Thanks, Simone. And Sheila.
3: Thanks for allowing me to be a part of this conversation, and I absolutely agree with everything Nicola and Simone said. There is absolute urgency in having this conversation right now, and I imagine that some organizations are already doing so, but those companies who are not talking about this do not understand the risk they're taking in terms of jeopardizing their future work, because here's the reality. COVID changed everything about the employer-employee relationship. So companies don't have any choice but to pivot and operate with talent intelligence. And they need to not only understand the dynamics that have changed, why they've changed, but they need to understand there is no going back, at least not 100% to what it was. I don't even think even 50%. But they also need to be one step ahead of the competition. And that means meeting employees and potential talent where they are. It means considering the wants and needs a priority for successful talent attraction and development and retention. And for that to happen, they've got to ensure that everybody in the talent management process, including managers, people managers, have the tools they need to be successful.
0: I guess listening to all three of you, again, I don't disagree with any of that. I think it's absolutely on point. Um, I guess the bit that raises the questions for me is that when you look pre-COVID and you look at the way we behaved in those days as employees and or or as employers, I look back at that and I think, how constraining have we been over the last 50 years in the way in which we engage people? And knowing and watching how people, when... Are truly working in the new environment which is the new sort of freedom type environment the new environment of relationship the new environment of empowerment you see how much more people have to offer it makes you realize how little by comparison we offered pre-covid because at the moment we are getting people and businesses that are behaving in the future of the workplace and behaving in a way that truly brings people on we're seeing them become powerhouses just because they realize the power of the people when when treated in the right way so for me the the workplace is a huge huge subject and i guess the bit that frustrates me i think it was um, simone said it um it's where there are people and businesses business leaders feeling that it's right and proper to go back to the old way and and i just don't i don't get it that's that's fear that's insecurity for me and it's a lack of seeing the world through other people's eyes i really want to get a bit more granular so let's start by talking about location 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 because of obviously the way in which you know leaders have always thought about this subject so covid has changed so much about the way we now all work but what trends do you now see about working from a specific location is the future of the workplace in an office
2: do you know what we we did a survey last year? We love doing a quick poll out there to kind of sense check. And at the start of the pandemic, when you looked at the the question asked was, you know, what, where would you want to work? And people want to oh, want to get back into the office. You know, I'm you know I don't want to be working from home all the time. And then when it sort of leveled out a bit, so we're talking probably you know a year ago, we had, we put the same survey out there. And what was really interesting was that it was nobody wanted five days a week at home and nobody wanted zero days, you know? So it was, there was almost this average of like this real desire of one to two one to two days, but but then in the notes when you went down into give us your other options So what you really want, it was flexibility. I want the flexibility of being able to work from um, a coffee shop. I want the flexibility of being able to work from Portugal or wh- wherever you may be. I want the flexibility to kind of you know be able to bring that. And I I, I spoke to someone on my own podcast um, last week on Northern Power Women, and and the question was I was talking to her about flexibility, just coming back after a third child. And, and she said, actually, COVID has saved us, has saved us as a family because it's brought that flexibility in it. So I think location, it could be wherever you want it to be, but you know, as long as you've got trust embedded into that, into the relationship
1: with your employer and employees, then you can make it work. I think there's there's so much in what you just said, it's hard to know where to start, but I mean, First off, yes, there's some fabulous innovation going on in terms of making hybrid working work well. And for very many people, that has been a really big shift since the pandemic. And, you know, we've worked with employers across Financial services firms across very big public service and private sector employers to help them think about both what are the principles they want to apply to make sure that hybrid working delivers effectively and what does that actually mean in practice? Just so there's complete clarity of expectations among employers and employees about the granular detail as well as the principles they're trying to achieve. You know, will anyone be fully remote? When are people expected to come in at short notice? What sort of ambitions as the organisation and the workforce have about when they want to work together and when they're happy to work separately and at home. And I think doing that well and making sure that those are co-created approaches that have everyone's buy-in across the workforce is still a really big challenge for very many employers and many people that we work with welcome the support we're able to offer with that. But the bigger issue, I think, is all those people who weren't working at home during the pandemic and the spotlight that this discussion of hybrid working has rightly shone on the very many roles where there isn't necessarily the possibility of flexibility in where you work, but there should be and can be much more flexibility in how and when you work. And that is, I think, a really exciting opportunity now that we'll probably come on to talk about more because for all those companies and businesses that have put in place and are developing really good practice hybrid working approaches, they've now got this big challenge of how to stop a two tier approach opening up across their organisation where the people who aren't able to have flexibility in location don't feel as if they're missing out on all the opportunities that that improved flex can bring
2: just really to reinforce that I remember having a conversation um, myself with a it was a rail company about a year ago and it was it almost then comes into the leadership approach she's like I'm literally having to manage with two different styles you're trying to have that consistency but when you've got 50% of your or X% percent of your workforce that have actually just cracked on as normal over lockdown making the wheels or the tracks try, you know tick or whatever and and then on the other side you've got that other side of the workforce have been able to do that she's we, that was a
3: real challenge you know and that, that's a really really had to adapt and look at our own leadership style. To Nicola's very um, relevant point that not everyone can have that kind of, of flexibility just given the nature of their work. I think that companies can compensate for that by the policies and programs and benefits that they offer. But over to what Simone said, absolutely agree. The key word here is flexibility. And just to dig a little deeper in that, you can't put people in chunks, you know, don't tell me that Gen X wants this and Gen Z wants that because I'm not going to buy that crap. I mean, we are individuals and as individuals, we have different motivations and and different things that inspire us. And so I believe that what companies need to focus on is, you know, what motivates the employee, what, what will help the, the employee feel connected to the vision and, and the goals that an organization is trying to accomplish. What are their preferred communication styles, working styles? How do they prefer to be recognized for a job well done? And then on the employer side, I think that you know managers, let's be real here, managers need to be confident. And they need to be flexible in their ability to successfully manage. If you have a manager who is insecure and micromanaging, then the, the old adage that people don't leave organizations, they leave managers. It holds true again and again. So managers really do need to be competent and they have to have some level of emotional IQ and listening skills and empathy and all that good stuff to make it work.
0: It's interesting because it's such a broad subject. And this is one question we could probably spend an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, four hours on. Because you know, coming back to everything you've just said, you're absolutely right. People join a business, they leave a boss. And and the reality is, where does you know, do businesses invest the right amount of time and effort getting their managers to be good managers? Right? Because that is a fundamental. But coming back to the question that's location, 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 this is really interesting. I'm gonna be quite controversial here. When COVID first struck for us we had 350 odd people and we sent them all home because we had to right everybody did and we sent a survey out to those 350 people generally the gist was how are you finding it do you like it and 95 said we hate it we just want to get back to the office and my team around at the time said told you jeff <laughs> um and i said and i was i was just too disruptive so i said no they're all wrong um they don't know what they don't know so um, anyway, we carried on because we had no choice, right? It wasn't something that I was coming up with an idea. We all had to stay at home because of the law. Four months later, we sent the same survey out, and 90% said they loved it because they'd learned to adapt, right? They'd learned to manage it, and they also suddenly started challenging the fact that they had this ability to spend not just so much more time with the family. I guess there were some people that would have died to get back to the office away from the family, but the gist was they had control. They could decide, right? They had that flexibility. And then, of course, I watch people, companies around me, and they're saying, oh, we're we're looking at the four-day week. And I'm going, it doesn't matter if it's a one-day week, four-day week, five-day week. It's a constrained environment. If you give people the choice and the freedom of choice and they understand the outcomes, they will not let you down. And then coming on to the other piece that Nicola talked about, which is a very, very, very powerful subject, and that is about flexibility across the broad range. Because in my business, again, I've got people that work in the office, as most companies have, But I've got engineers in vans that have to drive to somewhere to fix something. So they don't get that same level of flexibility, or do they? Because it all comes down to the employer's attitude, and that comes back to empowerment. So despite the fact that it seems relatively easy to give people flexibility on an office environment or an admin environment or an environment where they can be anywhere, at the same time, if you're empowering a group of engineers, 5, 10, 15, 20 of them, whatever, and say... You know what we have to achieve. If you want to work out how you want to cover each other for doing different things, we're empowering you to make that decision. So you drive a flexible environment into that environment as well. But it all starts with the attitude of the employer. And I think you know there is there are no boundaries we can't overcome. It only comes down to our own mindset and our own courage to try new things.
1: And I think Jeff, it's interesting that the the, t- the scale of innovation that had to happen as um, a result of the awful circumstances around the pandemic has now driven employers and their workforces into some quite new ways of working and there's some recent evidence that came out about the flexible furlough scheme and it showed that of the employers that offered part-time furlough so they suddenly went to having a much higher part-time workforce than they used to over 40 percent of them now say that they would be more open to trialing part-time working as a result of it as a result of just having to do it and I think one lesson that's in there is that actually sometimes piloting giving it a go thinking about a different way of offering flexibility and where when or how somebody is working it's worth trying because the results can be surprising and positive and can deliver, like like you've clearly found, a return on investment for your business as well as helping your
0: employees. And I guess just to add another quick point to that before we go on to the next question, I guess the, the, the other thing I want to share is that I was a typical uh, leader, manager, owner, whatever. And our offices are based in culture in Essex. And people come to me and say, we've got this, this person, they, they live in um, Birmingham. I go, that's no good. i have got to live in Colchester (laughs) because you naturally understand the cost of getting to and from an office, right? Um, And so I was in that environment until COVID forced us to try new things, which was great in that regard. Um, And then now I find that we've got – well, I obviously work and run the business from Portugal. We've got employees in Spain, uh, most of which are British. And we've employed someone six months ago that lives in Colombia on a different time zone. We have no fear whereas the thought of that I'd have lost sleep thinking about that you know a few a few years ago. so it does show you that as you say the innovation the technology is, is absolutely is absolutely on point and it is about being courageous and trying new things and, and, and having no fear and I think the other thing that um, the final point I want to pick up was, was something Sheila said um, where I love I love <laughs> Sheila's boldness as well um, that said I don't take that crap. it's uh, people are different right so they have different needs different wants and so on and of course that's true. But I also am a bit controversial in saying, but there is one thing they've all got in common. They all want to influence or control their destiny. And that is the key. If you can address that issue, you will address all the variants and various types of needs and wants of of most individuals. Um, But it is about having the courage. But anyway, let's move on um, because, again, it's a subject we can go down a million rabbit holes. I want to talk about the broader picture of the relationship between the actual workforce of the future, that might be the Gen Zs, for instance, um, and their work. I mean, are we going to see a shift in attitude towards what constitutes work or work-life balance? So um, I'm going to start with you, Simone.
2: Do you know? What? Again, I, I love a survey, and we put um, after we had our conversation a few weeks ago, we put out two surveys. We put one to our specific demographic that is more Gen Z, millennial of power collective audience, and then we put a, a similar, uh, same survey actually, same language uh, to our Northern Power Women community. And um, we asked, "What does good look like for you?" You know, when you're, you're when you're, you're you're looking at work, and we look, gave the options of flexibility, money, progression, or purpose you talked to the start um you know about the whole everyone's just assumed assume it's just gen z and millennial they're all all purpose driven everyone else it's power and money kind of thing you know and actually it's not it came out 51% versus 53% and that is the from gender to more um gender to gen z if you like 51% was purpose the second one was 29% versus 31% versus on flexibility right at the bottom was was the dollars Dollar bills, you know, so that for me was really interesting. And, it, you know, and it, there is this assumption that our workforce of the future and Sheila call this out, you know our workforce of the whole future, it's all about purpose driven, it's all about this, well what about our, per- our workforce of now what about our workforce, That our portfolio actually, purpose matters across us all, we're just having an opportunity now to reconfigure how we work, we've got an opportunity right now to kind of disrupt and influence and manage up and out and you know, and, and I think that's, and role model actually, and that's what Nicola does, Nicola and everything that you do across time wise and, you know, sort of showcasing and, you know, what you do, the, you know, the four day week, uh, part time power list, all that kind of stuff is, is brilliant. But it just really interesting for me, we label people and go, the young want this. And the people who, who do this, well, actually, our survey, not that our survey is, we're not quite McKinsey out there, but, you know, that's it's It's really important that we don't just, like you say, it is labeled, but that purpose factor, it has changed. And again, it's something else that we looked at, I think pre COVID, the whole piece about how and what you, how well you wanted to work, money was up there. Money was up there. That was the number one driver and promotion and all that kind of thing. Purpose or kind of flexibility was way down, and then it switched.
0: So I just want to pick up on a point you said there, um, because there'll be lots of managers, leaders, owners, directors that will say, look, I get all that fluffy survey stuff, right? But I'm telling you now, my staff only want pay. And that's because they've got a lack of understanding and humility, right? The pay is a sticky plaster over a bigger problem, right? And I think until employers show the humility to sort of have this broad thing and have the art of listening and understanding that, um, you know, the dollar check, the dollar, the paycheck, is is simply um, addressing something that they think the employee thinks will solve the bigger problem they have, which is their culture, their working environment, their bullying, whatever the the things are. And it's just a sticky plaster. And of course, one of the other things that is also important is is career progression. People don't just want purpose. that's one of the things, but it is also about what is my future?
3: Well, there's never been a greater blurring of the lines between work and life than during COVID when everyone was sent home. And I think that at the time that that occurred, a lot of Of leaders and organizations thought, oh, well, you know, this is temporary. We're just going to come back. And so when we think about the work of the future and, and what younger workers are going to expect, I think that we have to think about the power of no. And that's what organizations heard during the Great Resignation people were just saying no. And so it it boils down to what is the mass? What is the impact of what the majority of people expect in the employee-employer relationship? And how much of that is going to be negotiated? And so I think that it's going to be interesting to watch but I do believe that we are still, I mean, COVID was the beginning of what I believe is just a massive transition in the way we're working. And all I can say is I'm, I'm watching this space with great curiosity.
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. Of course, I think we all are. And Nicola, over to you.
1: I think I've got a mixed view on on this one, Jeff. I mean, I think ultimately we know that people at work want fair pay and they want to be treated well and with respect. Is that just about the paycheck? Absolutely not. I think what this debate and discussion And what recent labour market trends have shown us is that actually, whether it's young people, whether it's older workers, everybody now has a much greater expectation of having some autonomy and control over where and when and, and how they work. So that might mean for younger people coming into the jobs market that they want flexibility to balance a job with studying, with a business they might be starting, that they want to try several jobs at once. It might mean for older workers that they want to phase towards retirement and to move to part-time hours or to reduce hours. For many people, it means they want time to take caring responsibilities outside of work seriously. But that's not just mums. It's also dads and it's also older people supporting a partner or a family member with, with a health condition or indeed people who are managing disabilities and health conditions themselves, but also very much still want to work. So I think there is huge opportunity now to recognise that part of a good offer from a good employer to their workforce is to make sure that they have got access to good secure jobs with good flexibility around them and you know, we're seeing that across employers that we work with in really unexpected settings. just recently finished some work on a construction site where we've got all sorts of people who are site-based, not just office-based roles, really positive about having extra flexibilities to finish early on a Friday, about being able to pick their kids up from school, about the real transformative impact even small changes in working patterns have had for them and how important they are for those families and their households and how much they value their job now as a result of it. So. I think it's something that's for everybody, and there's a really welcome, positive recognition of how important that sort of flexibility can be.
3: You guys might have seen this, but the OECD released a report in January uh, this year about retaining all aged workers. And one of the points that they make is there, if we're talking about employee retention there is a close link between higher pay and employee retention, obviously, right? And then they said if you take the top 20% of the, the highest paying companies and then you take the lowest 20% in the industry of you know, how they pay, then there's a difference of 50% between the higher and the lower. So, So that's obvious. But what I would say is that just because someone is making more money does not mean that they're actually being more productive because there's so much more about workplace culture that contributes to uh, an employee feeling like they belong, that um, they're actually productive, that they're loyal to their employer. There's this whole thing about, you know, we've talked about it. They, The uh, report talked about wages aren't everything. There's also this thing about, about flexibility and working conditions and having, here's a big one, uh, family caring responsibilities. So in a lot of organizations, family care is only offered to people who are of childbearing age and someone older might not have that same benefit, but they may be taking care of grandchildren or they may be taking care of their parents or another spouse. So there's so many things that have to be factored in to what is going to make the ideal workplace of the future.
0: Yep, and I, I don't disagree with any of that. And again, I would add to that just from my own personal experience and passion that as much as there's all these moving parts that we talk about, it's, for me, it still comes down to one thing, and that is how do you make people feel? Because that's how they make their decisions. They don't make their decisions with their logic brain. They make their decisions on their emotional brain, how they feel, how do you make them feel. And if people feel they're being treated fairly and equally all the time, they will, by default, not want to move. And, of course, one of the things is uh, is when when you hear me say and other people say, and some of you have said it, it's not all about money, we do need to recognize that, uh, no, it's not about money, but it is about the fact that you have to take money off the table. In other words, you have to pay the people the right amount of money for the job that they are doing to enable them to not worry about that element, and then you can address the real problem. (laughs) Again, great stuff. Every subject, we could go on and on and on like that because we've clearly got some really... um, aligned views on this process. It, it just comes down to behaviour and and um, and I guess the, the ability to be courageous in trying something new and realising that it isn't about people sitting in pigeonholed boxes all the time. Anyway, let's wrap things up today. I guess I'd like a final comment from each of you. Um, we started this discussion with each of you laying out why this conversation about the workplace, the future is so important. And I'd like to close now by asking each of you, what is the one thing that organizations should or could do today to get themselves prepared for all the things that we've discussed today. And I'm going to come to you first, Simone.
2: I think it's about constant listening, constant listening to your workforce, constant listening to your customers. And I think it's being intentional, it's not about following what. A, another competitor does or what someone else has done. It's got to work for you. It's got to work for your business because this business is there to make money, right? You need the money to pay the teams, but it, it's got to be that. For me, it has to be that conscious listening. And then what you do with that to innovate. How do you make the workplace and that we talk about workplace and we talk about workforce, but actually how do we really kind of, I suppose, um, it's almost repurposing the workplace. You know, how do we make that a real purpose for being there and, and 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 unlock that competitive advantage? But for me, the 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 real leaders and the the trailblazers of the futures will be listening, listening more and taking action.
0: Brilliant. And uh, what one message from you, Nicola?
1: Well, I think employers recognise we've got candidate shortages across the economy. Our workforce is changing we've got more people with caring responsibilities more people with expectations of good flexibility and how they do their roles so the change that i would really like to see is more employers take this opportunity and advertise all of their roles with clarity about what sort of flexibility and how where when people work there will be take the chance think through how your jobs are designed and what you could do differently don't be afraid to seek help if you need it to get you on that journey. But actually there's huge benefits, as we've seen across pilots that we've done in terms of reduced um, employee sickness absence, improved retention, improved employee wellbeing. And you know the reality is that it's the world of work of the future. The faster you get there, the quicker you're going to um, benefit from the gains.
0: Rig the rewards, yeah. And finally, Sheila, what one message?
3: Well, I absolutely agree with what Simone and Nicholas said. Absolutely, Um, I would I would just add that employers need to be so careful. Not to make assumptions about what their employees want. And that goes across the age spectrum. You can't assume that because someone's young, that younger, they're going to want this, or because someone has been in, in, you know, in the industry 30 years, they're going to want that. It goes back to what Simone said. You have to listen. And that means you have to ask them what they want. And when you hear the answers, you need to be open and willing and flexible enough to pivot and change the way things have traditionally been done and think outside of the box.
0: That's absolutely brilliant. And, uh, and again, words of wisdom from all directions. So I've really enjoyed it. And I wish we could go on for another two hours, um, because it's a great subject to talk about. It's been a fantastic discussion, a fantastic discussion about something we can, yeah, we're can, we all passionate about. Clearly you are. Um, and it's something that's fascinating because of it's people, right? I mean, we, we, we can we can run projects, we can build buildings, but managing and understanding people is, is a big task. And, um, and if we're going to succeed, we need to realise how important it is to understand people. So thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and effort, and I look forward to the next time we get to have a discussion as powerful as this. Thank, thank you very you much. much. Well... Wow, wow, wow. A big thanks again to Simone Rush, Nicola Smith and Sheila Callahan for, for joining me in this incredible debate. There was so much stuff there. There's so much wisdom from some very passionate people, but very wise people, um, people that demonstrated that um, the most important values any employer is going to have to have for the future is that integrity and that humility and that power of listening um and the power of empathy the power of um truly understanding what people want and need if they're going to create an unstoppable workforce and a retained workforce Um, there were so many elements to that to that debate Um, it's not just about the office it's not just about um, working from home it's it's about the way in which we engage uh, with our teams with our people with our staff it's the effort we put into ensuring that throughout the spine of our organization that everybody is behaving in a caring way, that we put other people before ourselves, that our job is to help the people around us grow, um, not to say, what about me? And the investment in training, the investment in um, managers to behave in a way that brings their people on is one of the key ingredients for retention because of that cliche of people join a, a company and they leave a boss. So a fascinating subject, and I can't wait for take two, which will definitely come along because the subject is so huge it simply has to. If you haven't yet heard it, please do listen back to other discussions in this season from neurodiversity in the workplace to ESG, Environment, Social and Governance. I'm Jeff Dewing, best-selling author of the book Doing the Opposite and ceo of cloud fm you can also find out more about the podcast and my incredible guests by heading to jeffdewing.co.uk and clicking on podcast and you can also watch these conversations now on youtube all links are in the notes to this episode a big thank you to my team nicola crawshaw at cloud fm thinking Happy pr and of course my production team what goes on media thanks for listening